0: Kia ora, welcome again to Aotearoa Unearthed, a podcast for everyone interested in New Zealand's history and archaeology. For this sixth episode, I'm going to be talking to two experts on Māori rock art. I'll talk to Gerard O'Regan about the wider national and international context of rock art, its meaning and content in New Zealand. And then secondly, I'm interviewing Amanda Simon, a rock art curator about the specifics of caring for individual rock art sites. Mauri rock art is this incredible phenomenon that I really think we don't do enough to learn about and value in our country. It's so precious but also so vulnerable. Jared and Amanda have both been at the forefront of research and conservation for decades, so I was so grateful to be able to talk to both of them for this episode. And just to note that the sound quality is not great on either of these recordings, so apologies in advance. So, Gerard, I wonder if we could start by you telling me, uh, what is rock art?
1: Rock art are the designs and markings that the old people left on the landscape. Sometimes they were made thousands of years ago, tens of thousands of years ago, sometimes hundreds of years ago, or only even decades ago. But the important thing is they are the marks that the old people made on their place and their landscape is where they intend it to be.
0: And can you tell me a bit about some different types of rock art that you would find around the world in terms of how old they are or what they're made of?
1: Well, there are two different kinds of rock art. One is called petroglyphs. Now, a petroglyph is where a design is made by removing rock from the surface of the boulder or the cliff. So people are making an engraving by uh, scratching away or grinding away some rock. Sometimes they might use another little stone and hammer the surface of the rock to leave a little peck design. Sometimes the rock might actually be carved with tools which leave a embossed kind of carving. Sometimes they're three-dimensional. They pop out of the rock, or sometimes they're just a flat design on the yes. surface. The other kind of rock art is what we call pictographs. And a pictograph is where there is a pigment applied to the rock, and that is often uh, a paint. Sometimes it's a paint made with um, uh, minerals like ochre, uh, or sometimes it's a paint made with charcoal, which gives you a black paint. Sometimes they're drawings. But some places, such as in Australia, uh, beeswax was also used to make designs and patterns. And so there's a whole different range of techniques that people have used around the world. Some of the rock art overseas, some of the rock art in Indonesia has been dated to over 40,000 years old. There's a little painting of a, uh, a little pig found on one of the Indonesian islands, and that is, as far as we know, the oldest uh, image of its kind in the world so far. In Europe, we have uh, a lot of rock art that is associated with the Paleolithic people. Those people of that time certainly created incredible artworks and that have survived in some of the caves in France and Spain in particular. And they can include pictures of things from cave lions, cave bears, woolly mammoths, uh, woolly rhinos. It is the things that were in the environment and the landscape that were important to the people at the time.
0: It's so interesting. So what was Māori rock art depicting?
1: Well, Māori rock art was quite diverse. There is, in New Zealand, both petroglyphs, designs made by removing rock, and also pictographs, designs made with pigment. In the South Island, one of the things we see a lot are depictions of animals, particularly birds, some dogs, but also a lot of tiki figures, Now, a tiki figure is a human figure, but very rarely do we see pictures in South Island rock art that have a lot of detail of facial features. Normally, it's the whole body. It's the whole human form. And in particular, we see them in what we call the stance. In the North Island, we see fewer depictions of animals. We see fewer depictions of um, people in the way of seeing the whole tiki figure. But what we do see more of are designs of faces, um, particularly the eyes and the waha, the mouth. These tiki faces are one of the things that we find across the central North Island. Another thing we find a lot in the North Island are kuru spirals, uh, typical of a lot of Māori carving. We find those both painted, pecked onto boulders, and sometimes we see them also infilled with uh, red ochre as well, kokowai. Sometimes multiple techniques are used to make the one design.
0: So it must have been quite a lot of work. It's amazing that they had all those different steps.
1: One of the things with rock art is we shouldn't think that it was just a casual doodling exercise. Sometimes it might have been, but other times people have gone to great lengths and spent a lot of time pecking away a design onto the rocks. When we look at the paintings, the ochre, the kōkōwai, had to be collected. It had to be taken to those shelters. It had to be mixed up with the oils and the fats. The oils and the fats had to be got from somewhere. So there's a lot of preparation that goes into the tools and the resources you need.
0: And is there a way that we can tell how old Māori rock art is?
1: Well, some of the rock art that we see in the South Island appears to depict extinct birds more, and what we call the poakai, the giant eagle that went extinct along with the moor. We know that they went extinct quite early on in the Māori occupation of New Zealand. So we think that that rocker dates back to the time when the old people first arrived in New Zealand. Some of the other art appears to feature things such as when we look across the central North Island, there are a lot of waka that are painted in the shelters they typically look more like a later period waka or if you like a walkanoo because of the character of those waka they're probably much later time period of maori occupation of new zealand then we also have writing and the writing is in te reo maori but it is done in a script which is typical of the missionary taught scripts But one of the important things about it is we're finding that writing in the same place that we find other rock art designs. And that's one of the other things we've got to remember about rock art is because it's placed in the landscape, it could be generations of people who are revisiting places and adding their mark over time. And quite often we can see different layerings of rock art. We call that superimposition.
0: I just find that so interesting that We often think of rock art as being ancient, and yet the last editions are quite recent.
1: You know, we are still making rock art today. People are still inscribing designs and patterns and um, creations onto the landscape today. And again, people are doing it for very different reasons. Some people are scratching their names into rock on other occasions. People are making very ornate, elaborate artworks. One of the most famous examples of rock art in New Zealand is Ngā Toirangi, who is carved in the cliff of Mine Bay down at Lake Taupo. A huge tiki face, very ornate, exquisitely carved, and that is a modern piece of work by uh, Mahitahi Brightwell.
0: If you were looking at the archaeology that you found around a rock art site, what would you expect to find and what would it tell you about the site and the rock art?
1: first thing we've got to remember is the rock art is part of the archaeology. When we're looking in the rock shelters, what we typically look for are indications in the ground of some occupation. We might find a hangi or an umu, a place where the old people made a fire and cooked some kai. We might find a little bit of midden or uh, rubbish. Often the archaeological remains that we find in the ground out in the foreground of the rock shelters. The old people made their fireplaces outside the shelter because if you're in a rock shelter and you're lighting a fire, then you're smoking yourself out. Many of the South Island rock shelters have had 150 years of sheep farming and the sheep and the goats will kick out the soil deposits from the bottom of the rock shelters. So often the rock shelters don't actually have any old remains there. On the rare occasion, stuff will survive. And then what we have is a challenge archaeologically of trying to work out were the archaeological deposits there, were they made at the same time that the rock art was? Remembering that people would be going backwards and forwards using these rock shelters over time. So very rarely can we actually line those things up, but when we can, it's quite special.
0: Now, there is a tricky question that I want to ask, and I know there's no clear answer, but why did Māori make this rock art, and what does it mean?
1: In my opinion, from my studies, I've come to the conclusion that Māori made rock art for a whole lot of different reasons and different purposes at different times. Sometimes it looks like they were using it to mark particular boundaries or places of significance. So, for example, Uh, There are carved rocks on the coast of Taranaki that seem to be a place next to canoe landing areas. Sometimes they appear to be associated with places of tapu. So, for example, there is a record of ochre or kokowai being used to mark a burial cave down in the Waitomo area. There are also examples of rock art out in boulders in the middle of nowhere. When we look at those examples, we sort of wonder, well, what was going on around these rocks? And of course, what was going on around those rocks is a very different thing from what we see today. You know, the landscape has changed. Sometimes we don't know why the rock art is there. When I look at a famous site called mighty Whenua down by Duntring, there are different layers of rock art there. And we can see that the old people there, when they visited, felt inspired to add rock art to the rock shelter, but in a way that make a respectful connection to what was there beforehand. People connecting with the past and adding to it themselves. So there was a continuity of engagement with the place.
0: That's just amazing. It's almost like yeah, people are conversing with their ancestors across time and responding to them. We have a section called Show and Tell, which is where you talk about a specific artefact. I wondered if you wanted to tell me about some of the rock that was cut out of the Waitaki Gorge before uh, hydroelectrical development?
1: Back around the 1950s, it was decided that they were going to put the Benmore Dam in place and create Lake Benmore. It was known that there were several uh, rock shelters around the Waitaki Gorge area that had rock art in them. And so a project was initiated. uh, It was led by... While Ambrose and Frank Davis by Roger Duff, who was then the director of the Canterbury Museum, and with Michael Trotter, who later became the director of the Canterbury Museum. They initiated a programme of tracing the rock art, photographing the rock art, excavating the floors of the rock shelters, and also trying to extract some of the rock art, cutting it out of the, the rock shelters and taking it to the museums, in the hope of preserving some of it before it all got flooded under the Lake Benmore Hydro Lake. Some of the recovery of the rock fragments wasn't that successful. However, some of the pieces were reasonably intact and they have ended up in the, on display at the Otago Museum. A famous one is what we call the Ahuriri dogs. Before they ever got removed from the dam, they also got copied by the artist Teo Schoon, and they have been copied into a whole lot of other artworks subsequently. I've started to make a little bit of a collection of these ways in which the Ahuriri dogs have been reused. We see them used in a whole lot of different designs appearing around the world, and my latest Acquisition, if you like, has actually been a leather wallet found on eBay from Britain. And on this leather wallet, it has got stamps of the Ahuriri dogs from the Waitaki Gorge. But one of the things about that is those dog designs are very distinctive and very unique.
0: That's so interesting, and I guess that leads to another whole topic about how European artists saw these rock art images and then kind of appropriated them, and then they get used commercially, and I don't know what Māori think about that.
1: Well, a lot of we are very resistant to the idea of our traditional motifs being picked up and reused outside of an appropriate cultural context by Pākehā, who have not got a regard for the character of the depictions that they are reusing. And this has caused great offence over the years in a whole lot of ways, where we see Māori motifs and designs used on commercial products, food items. It's irritated Māori, it's offended Māori, and it's actually something that is common across a lot of Indigenous people right across the world. Unfortunately, there's very little we can do to control some of those things. What we do focus on is trying to make sure that The reuse we have within our own people, within our own communities, is actually more appropriate. Recognising the mana of those taonga, the mana of the original designs. When we do that, it is a wonderful way of keeping those designs alive and in the fore and around us uh, in a time where it's very difficult to access a lot of those original shelters and caves.
0: So, Gerard, I'm just wondering, how many rock art sites are there in Aotearoa?
1: In 1980, we understood that there were about 30 rock art sites in the North Island. We now know that there's over 150. When we look, we find more. Naitahu has spent a lot of time in the South Island doing a big survey of the rock art down there. When we look, we find more. When I was starting my MA, I was shown this program called D-Stretch. If you had all of the equipment, you could take a camera into the field, you could take your computer, you might be able to process up an image enhancement of the rocker that we're looking at. You can see with great clarity on your computer screen what was almost invisible to the eye. Well, now today, 10 years later, That software is available on my cell phone. So I can take my mobile phone into the field and I can do an image enhancement straight away there in the field. And so can anybody else. Farmers, hunters, enthusiasts, students, rangatahi. What it means is there's a lot more eyes that are now able to be looking for the rock art if they know to look for it. And that's one of the wonderful things with the Ngāi Tahu Rock Art Trust in terms of bringing an awareness of the rock art to more people, I'm pretty sure that we will have more reports of rock art being recorded across the country over the next few years.
0: So I've got a question from a listener here, um, from a teacher called Thomas, and the question is what made you want to be an archaeologist?
1: I got excited about archaeology when I started working in museums when I was about 18 and I was really lucky to get a job at the National Museum looking after Taonga Māori. When I decided I would like to do university study, I went to Otago University and undertook my degree in archaeology. And when I was doing that, I was absolutely bitten by the bug of discovery, of trying to interpret what we were looking at in the past and importantly, thinking about how we care about the past, the stories we tell in museums, and also how we care about the places that are those archaeological sites. Because those places, though our wahitupuna, though our ancestral places, the archaeology is just one part, but an important part of those places that allows us to understand a bit of the story of the old people.
0: Oh, Thank you so much, Jared. Just... I'm so grateful to you for uh, sharing all your knowledge and years of experience and also for putting up with my um, technological mishaps trying to record this over Zoom. <laughs> so thank you. For the second part of this episode, I was able to talk to Amanda Simon, curator for the Naitahu Māori Rock Art Trust, about the specifics of caring for rock art. Amanda thank you so much for talking to me and I was just wondering if we could start by you telling me about the current state of Māori rock art.
2: Well a lot of rock art in Te Waiponimu is applied to limestone. So limestone is a soft rock, a porous rock. It's um, basically a marine sediment so it has salts within it. You can imagine it being exposed to wind and weather. It can erode and exfoliate but it's also highly sensitive to changes in hydrology. One of the more challenging aspects of curing for rock art is the fact that changes in the landscape surrounding the site can have an impact at quite a distance. So you're looking at having to figure out a way of providing a decent-sized buffer zone around them. So if an activity occurs within a buffer zone, it can trigger consultation at least.
0: Is there a way that
2: works at the moment? One thing you could do is use a map of all of the limestone areas as being a a way of flagging a potential for impact to rock art. Or you can use the points on the map which indicate where the rock art sites are plus a 300-metre buffer. Or you could look even broader than that and think what are the other cultural values surrounding it. So, in limestone areas, you'll find rock art sites have associated wetland, stream, river <laughs> systems connected to them because, you know, I guess the, the people moving around the landscape creating the rock art were also collecting resources at the same time. So, convenient convergence of accommodation and food. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're looking at managing the hydrology, you can also look after those kind of freshwater values as well. So if there's a wetland associated with the with rock art site, then you can protect both those things. So
0: I think you're working on a project like that at the moment where you're restoring the habitat. Can you tell me about that,
2: please? Oh, that's very exciting. That's in South Canterbury at Orpahee. That is a thirteen hectare area of land that the trust leases from a local farmer, and there's some fantastic rock art sites on that property. There's 44 rock art sites, so wow. it's a big limestone outcrop with many, many rock art sites. On one side, it's bordered by the Orpahie River. On another side, there's a an ancient wetland and spring complex that must have been just a massive food basket. Mm-hmm. And then there's a small little gully that contains some really fantastic rock art and one really well-known rock art figure, which is the Ōpahi Tanifa. I guess we've been visiting that site for many, many years. Really, there was a desire to bring back more of the story of why people were coming to that place and what are the full set of values that, that people were interacting with. In the archaeology around the rock shelters, you can see things like bird bone and freshwater mussel shell. You know, there would have been all sorts of different native plants there that were being used for various purposes. So it's about trying to recreate or restore all of those values to that place and being able to tell a fuller story of of what the people were doing as they were creating rock
0: art. And I've seen pictures of the site, and I know it's not finished, but it just looks amazing.
2: It's fantastic. How this all started, which was quite random really, I was cold called by a lovely man called Dr Peter Heenan. He's an ecologist. He specialises in limestone ecology. Limestone ecology is a rare and threatened thing. Mm -hmm. That's where you're finding the rock art as well. He just suggested maybe we can do something together. And from that conversation, we started looking at the ecology around the sites and he had a desire to, you know, protect and restore those natural values and we could see the value of that ourselves um, assisting us to tell that broader story because that particular site, Tiana Naitahu Rock Art Centre, take guided tours down there and also our education programme.
0: Do most of the landowners or the farmers even realise that they're on their land or?
2: Part of the work of the Ngāi Māori Rock Art Trust is to work in the community and educate people. Part of that work has been a survey and recording project and that's been going on since 1990, so it's a massively long-term tribal project. As part of doing that, you're interacting with landowners to come onto their property and to record the art. A byproduct of that is to, you know, let the landowners know where that art is or take them and their families out to have a look and talk about the ways in which it can be protected and the ways in which it can be damaged. And that's resulted in lots of really positive, cooperative initiatives. And one of those is the one at Oopahi. The landowner there has been... Like, really positively involved and really awesome to work with. Yeah. So, yeah, and there's lots of people around like that.
0: And I wonder if you just want to say about the Rock Art Centre because people might not have heard of
2: that. Mm. So, Tiana Naitahu Rock Art Centre <laughs> is situated in Timaru in South Canterbury and it's um, a really good interpretive centre that's specifically focused on rock art and a great place to learn more about this aspect of our national history and heritage. And the reason for it being located in Timaru is is really, you know, um, the Aoraki district is the heartland of Māori rock art in the South Island. The purpose of it is very much community education, because if people don't know that there's Māori rock art, then how can they be motivated to protect it? <laughs>
0: I hope this episode has given you the desire to visit one of these Māori rock art sites that are open to the public. To me it's just so incredible that we can see this artwork and know that it was created by generations of Māori within the very landscapes where they lived and travelled. Even if we don't know their exact purpose, it makes these ancestors of our nation come alive in my imagination as I think of them working on this artwork and these symbols. Thank you so much again, Gerard and Amanda, for talking to me. And apologies once again, everyone, for the wonky sound quality of these recordings. This podcast is a joint production by Heritage New Zealand, Pohiri Tonga and the New Zealand Archaeological Association. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to Aotearoa Unearthed. Our next episode is about artefacts relating to children found during archaeological monitoring of Christchurch homes after the Canterbury earthquakes. Ka kite.